Hey everyone, welcome back to Teenager Therapy. I'm Gael, and this is episode three in our Back to School Blue series presented by Better. This time we're with a special guest, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Gael? I'm good. Thank you. You want to give the audience a quick introduction? Sure. Um, so thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, my name's Andrew. I'm a senior director of student communications at the College Board. Um, we are a nonprofit organization that's focused on helping students um, connect with colleges and prepare and apply and enroll in college. Um, you and your listeners probably know us best for the SAT and advanced placement programs, um, but we also have a lot of free college planning tools and resources. And so my role is really focused on sharing those tools and resources to help students and families as they're trying to navigate the college planning and application process. Um, so my colleagues and I work to connect students and families to resources like Big Future, which is our free college planning website, um, and our College Board Opportunity Scholarships Program, um, as well as a few other resources that we have as well. Yeah, so this is a really important time in college apps because the deadline was supposed to be today, November 30th, but I don't know if you guys are aware, actually by the time you see this, it'll be done, but the deadline got extended to December 4th. Um, for UC schools, right? Yes, for UC yeah. schools. So that was like definitely a little nice gift for <laughs> Thanksgiving. Um, I think a lot of people right now, their biggest concern is the SAT and the ACT because colleges are saying you don't need it and it won't affect you if you choose not to submit it, your scores. But they also say it is optional if you submit it. So I do want to ask you, what's the situation around that? And if there's no, you know, if, if how do I say it? So if submitting your scores doesn't affect your application, why is the option there? Yeah, well, that's a really great question. Um, and, you know, I think for us, you know, schools are continuing to have to navigate all of the uncertainty that we're all dealing with with the coronavirus. Um, so I think first and foremost for the College Board, we want to make sure that students and educators are um, healthy and safe. So we've... Um, required that all test centers are following local public health guidelines. Um, we've implemented additional requirements that all test centers have to um, follow in order to administer the exam safely. Um, at the same time, you know, as you mentioned, there is sort of limited testing capacity in some areas because of public health restrictions, um, because there's a lot of demand. Um, and so we're really working as hard as we can to ensure that as many students as possible are able to test safely. Um, and so since August, more than 1 million students have taken the SAT either on the weekend or during the weekday at school. Um, of course, College admissions offices understand that this year students have probably had limited opportunities to take the SAT and the ACT as a result of COVID. Um, so we've really urged our members to be flexible um, and they've, you know, colleges and universities have done that. Um, so most of them have announced that they will be test optional this year um, and they're going to consider students for admission whether they were able to test or not. 
Um, I think what is important to keep in mind is that scores from the SAT and ACT are really just one factor in admission. Um, colleges are looking at things like your GPA, um, what courses you've taken, your personal essay, things like that to really get to know who you are and what you can bring to campus. Um, so if a school says that they are test optional, then they are truly test optional um, and they will look at students the same, um, whether they were able to provide a score or not. Um, and I think what most admissions officers and counselors typically recommend is that, you know, if you have a score that you are satisfied with, that you think reflects your skills and your knowledge, then go ahead and submit your scores. Um, but all that being said, you know, colleges are not going to be giving preference to those who submit an SAT or ACT score over those who aren't able to this year. Mm. So I guess it's more of a, if you feel like you are stronger in extracurriculars and essays then, you know, maybe it's better if you don't submit your score. But if you do think, if you have a, a strong score, then it, it's good to submit it because that way you'll give that extra additional information towards college admission counselors. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the SAT and the ACT, like I said, it's one piece of information. It helps colleges, but it's not the only part of your college application. Mm. So really depends on sort of you and sort of the specific student as they're thinking about their college application. And how long is the SAT and ACT going to be test optional for different schools? Is it only this year or have they said about um, next year's applications? That's a really great question. And it's really dependent on the school. So, you know, schools have taken different policies and approaches um, as they've had to navigate the, the pandemic. Um, we've encouraged colleges to be flexible when it comes to SAT scores and ACT scores. Um, at the same time, we know that colleges and universities do value the information that, you know, the SAT can provide. Um, and so we are definitely looking forward to working with colleges as they're thinking about um, what they're going to do in the future when it comes to their admission policies too. And when is the last day to submit your scores? Can you submit scores after the application deadline? That is a really great question, especially um, as you said, you've got some application deadlines mm -hmm. coming up. Um, so the best recommendation I could give there is to check the specific colleges, um, the websites of the specific colleges that you're looking to apply to. Um, colleges are going to have different deadlines and requirements. Some have sort of like push back their deadlines for when scores need to be received. Um, and so I think a, a general piece of advice for planning for college and applying is to stay on top of specific deadlines um, and dates. And I think that's probably even more true uh, this year, especially. Mm -hmm. So we have a variety of listeners. Obviously, this episode, I think is going to help a lot of seniors, but also a lot of junior and just underclassmen that are thinking about applying to college next year and are starting to think about the classes are going to take next year. So I think a big question and a lot there's a lot of confusion around AP and advanced placement classes because a lot of students are have been told that if you take an advanced placement class and you pass the exam at the end of the year, you get college credit and it saves you money. But I know there's a lot of classes that don't actually count. So how does a student know which AP classes are worth taking? I love that question. And you're taking a few AP classes, am I right? Yeah, I'm, I'm right now. This year, I'm only taking one. Okay, awesome. And what class are you taking this year? That's AP government. Okay. Um, yeah, so I think that is a great question around sort of what 
colleges offer credit. Um, so we have a tool on our website. Um, so if you go to the College Board's website, um, we actually have a tool where you can look at colleges' AP credit policies, and you can look either by like a specific school that you're interested in, or you can look by, you know, in your case, AP Gov and see um, what schools offer college credit or advanced placement based on your your AP exam score. Um, so I would I'd recommend using that tool if that's something that you're thinking about when it comes. And what's to that it. website? Um, so if you go to collegeboard.org, you should be able to um, follow the link to the AP site, and it'll have mm. a link to mm -hmm. the. And I can send it to you as well for the show notes. Yeah, that's helpful. And so and so when you take an AP class, you have the benefit of your college might possibly use it as college credit. But college admission officers do like seeing more AP classes, even if they're not giving you college credit, right? Yeah, well, I think AP is a great way to demonstrate to colleges that you are capable of tackling college level coursework. Um, so, you know, you don't need to be like top of your class to take an AP class. AP is for all students, um, but you just want to make sure that you are prepared, um, that you're taking a course that you're interested in and based on classes that you've done well in. Um, and I think that taking an AP course and doing well on it um, can really help college admissions officers understand a little bit more about you um, and and sort of what you've done in the classroom during your time in high school. Mm -hmm. So last episode, we were kind of calling out all the underclassmen and telling them to not repeat our mistakes and start <laughs> college applications early, start working on them, you know, getting those letter of recommendations, especially giving teachers enough time to write a really solid one. So when is the right time to apply for college? How early should you start the whole process? And are there different steps or phases that you should keep in mind throughout? Yeah, well, I was listening to your latest episode um, and definitely love that advice to students. I know it's probably easier said than done. Um, I think what's important first is that it is not too late to start your search um, and to apply to colleges if you are perhaps one of those students who hasn't started their application yet, right? So if you're a senior and you haven't even you know, started to look at schools, um, there's still time. Talk to your counselor. They've helped plenty of students through this process, and they can help you as well. Um, and then you can also use tools like Big Future, which is our free college planning website, um, to explore colleges, build a list, and start thinking about um, um, what you need to do to get your applications ready. Uh, you mentioned mm. that you know UC schools, you're you're getting your applications ready this week. Um, a lot of regular college application deadlines fall in January. Um, one thing to keep in mind uh, this year, especially, is that some colleges may have adjusted their dates and deadlines as a result of the pandemic. Um, so, like I was saying earlier, it's really important to just make sure you're staying on top of those um, individual college deadlines to make sure you're not missing anything. Um, and then I think the last thing I would recommend for you know younger students, so if you're a junior or a sophomore um, and you're starting to think about what you want to do after high school, I think now is probably a perfect time to start exploring and considering colleges. Um, so just start asking yourself questions about what you're looking for in a college, um, start to search for different schools, save a college list. Um, that list is going to change over time. I know that the schools that I was thinking about junior year were very different than the ones I ultimately applied to. Um, but I think building that initial college list is a really great step for juniors um, and sophomores to take now. 
So what are the best resources that you know of where you could find kind of just info on how to write your PIQs or how to write a good common app essay and just everything that kind of encompasses the college application process into one? Yeah, well, I think the best resource um, is not a website, um, but it is your counselor. Um, I know that this year, especially with students being um, maybe virtual or attending school in sort of like a hybrid um, format, it might be difficult to just like drop in your counselor's office. Um, But I think making sure that you've got a good relationship with your counselor, that you're paying attention to like emails that he or she might be sending um, and using any resources that they're passing along. I think that is going to be really critical. Um, Mm -hmm. We also have Big Future, which I mentioned, but this, um, the website that we've built really has information sort of no matter where you are at in the process. So if you are just thinking about colleges, you can use our college search tool and sort of find different colleges that might be a good fit. Um, If you are thinking about financial aid and what schools might be a good financial fit for you, um, you can use a net price calculator that we have on our website to try and understand if, if a school is a good financial fit. Um, And then we even have tips on sort of how to actually make your uh, decision once you've gotten your acceptance letters and are thinking about what you want to do. And there's even tips on there, sort of different approaches to college essays, um, tips and reminders and doing things like making sure you're um, copy editing your essay and asking someone to read it for you. Um, So I think that's a really great resource. Um, And then the last thing that I would just say that we offer at the College Board um, is a program called the College Board Opportunity Scholarships. Um, So this is a program that we launched in 2018, um, and it basically lays out six key steps that we think students should take on the path to college. Um, And as you complete each step, you earn a chance at a scholarship. Um, And we're giving away nearly $5 in scholarships each year. Um, So right now it's open to the class of 2021. um, And just by completing your FAFSA um, and by applying to colleges, you can earn a chance at a scholarship. So it's a really simple way to sort of stay on top of your college application process and potentially earn a scholarship as well. Mm -hmm. So now there's the whole college app process. And now let's say you get into a college Students want to know how you actually pay for college and what are the next steps, because especially for a lot of first-gen students, they're not aware of loans or anything because their parents haven't done that before. So it's really up to them to figure it out. So let's assume you're thinking about college, you're going to commit to one. What is the next thing you should do when thinking about how to pay for that and what kind of options do you have? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think I would say... The first thing is to make sure that you are not waiting to think about this until after you've gotten into college. Um, I think you really want to make sure that when you are thinking about colleges you want to apply to, you are thinking about schools that are an academic and social fit, but also a financial fit. So one tip that I have is to use what's called a net price calculator, um, which basically allows you to put in your financial information and um, get a sense of what a specific college could potentially um, cost for you. So it's not a specific financial aid offer, but it will give you an estimate to help you understand if it's a good fit. So I think that's one option or one one tip. Um, The other thing, and this is the most important, um, is to complete the FAFSA. 
So this is the free application for federal student aid. Um, it opens October 1st each year, and it's important to complete the FAFSA and to do it as soon as possible after it opens. Um, a lot of states and institutions either have deadlines in early 2021 um, or are offering financial aid on sort of a first come first serve basis um, and completing the FAFSA is sort of that first step to getting financial aid from your college or your state um, and other sources like that. Um, so I think that that is absolutely critical. And even if you think that maybe you aren't sure if you're going to college next year, or if you want to go to college, um, completing the FAFSA now will sort of make sure that you have that option and that you have financial aid in place. Um, and then I will just sort of also add that when it comes to the FAFSA, I mentioned the FAFSA scholarship that we have in the College Board Opportunity Scholarships Program, um, but we also worked with an organization called the Benefits Data Trust to create a FAFSA chatbot um, that you can also sign up for through the Opportunity Scholarships Program. Um, and then you can basically text this FAFSA chatbot your questions about the FAFSA um, and you'll get uh, pretty immediately, pretty immediate responses as well. Um, so I think don't forget to complete the FAFSA. If I can leave anyone with any advice from this podcast, I think that would be my main mm -hmm. tip. And and what exactly is the FAFSA? I know it's is it a loan? Is it direct aid? How does it work? And what 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 are people applying to when they complete that? That's a great question. So the FAFSA is a government form that you complete. Um, it'll ask you various questions. Um, you know, you might need to work with a parent to complete it. Um, and then your um, college, your state, they will use that information to determine your financial aid package. Um, and that financial aid package can consist of loans, but also scholarships and grants, work study. Um, so it's important to complete it because it opens sort of doors to all financial aid possibilities. Um, so it's not just sort of an application to get you a loan, it's about sort of the broader spectrum of financial aid, if that makes sense. So if there's, if so if a lot of students don't wanna take out loans, um, especially Gen Z, what do they do with, does the FAFSA still help them? I'm assuming yes, because it encompasses a lot of different types of aid, of aid. but if they, let's say get into a college they can't afford and now they try to, they apply for the fin for financial aid and they don't want to take out loans will they be guaranteed other different types of aids or is that something they have to look for themselves that's a really great question so you're right that just by completing the fafsa means that you know you aren't um that you're getting access to more than just loans and you aren't required to um, sign up for any of the loans that you're offered uh, as part of your financial aid package. It's You get to sort of make that decision. Um, I think if you are in a situation where you have been accepted to college um, and it's not still not affordable for you, um, I'd recommend reaching out to the financial aid office at the specific school to understand what options might be available to you. Um, and they can talk you through um, what might be possible at that specific school. Mm, okay. Yeah. Cause I know there's a lot of colleges that I believe have on their website that over 70% of students don't pay any tuition. What, what does that exactly mean? Does that mean these students tuition is covered by financial aid or what does it mean when they put that out there? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's really dependent on the school. So I couldn't speak to all schools. I would probably just recommend that you um, reach out specifically to that financial aid office at whatever school that you're considering. Um, and they can give you sort of the best guidance and sort of their financial aid approach and what they typically offer to students. Mm-hmm. Should you reach out to a school's counselor, uh, a USC or a UC or any specific school that you're thinking about going and applying to? Is it a good idea to reach out to their counselor and just ask them your questions? Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely can be helpful to reach out to admissions officers. Um, I think your best bet is to reach out if you have a question that maybe can't get answered on the website. Um, So if you have a specific question about that school or about their admissions process or their financial aid process um, that you can't find the answer to on their website, um, then I think it is definitely fair to reach out to the contact information that they provide to ask your question and make sure you're informed as you're thinking about where you want to apply. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think any scholarships is also you know a big thing would you what is the process of getting scholarships do you have to look for them yourself or is fafsa do they bring them to you how does that process work that's a really great question so the fafsa um, will connect you to um, grants and sort of based on financial need Um, if you're looking for more like merit-based scholarships. So perhaps ones that are based on um, your academics or sports or other opportunities, then um, there are a lot of great scholarship search tools out there. So we have one on Big Future. There are plenty of others out there that sort of allow you to search based on a variety of different filters and find ones that could be a good fit for you. Um, So I think step one, complete the FAFSA. It's like the first step in sort of applying for financial aid. Um, And then also look into additional scholarships that could be um, a good fit for you as well. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of different scholarships specifically to what your skills involve, right? And your strength. And those are the ones that you should ideally be applying to. Yeah. I mean, I think similar to how you approach college applications and sort of thinking about um, applying to schools where you think you'll be a good fit and that'll be a good fit for you. Um, you kind of want to do a similar thing when it comes to scholarships mm-hmm. and sort of review their requirements and and make sure that um, you're a good fit for those scholarships as well. And for the underclassmen, do you think that applying early next year is a good idea? Does it increase your chances of getting into whatever college you apply to? Or is the general um, deadline the same? Yeah, I mean, I think that really depends on the student, right? So in some cases, it might make sense for a student to apply early. Um, If, you know, you feel really confident that you definitely want to go to one school, um, you know, you don't want to necessarily be able to like compare a lot of different financial aid offers, then applying early decision could be a nice option. Um, But I think if you want to sort of keep your options open, um, want to make sure that you are able to sort of compare financial aid offers, then applying early might not be the best option. So that's really a sort of student dependent um, answer. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's about all the questions that I have. Is there anything else, any pieces of advice that you would give to either seniors this year going into college or the ones that will be applying next year? I mean, I think my biggest piece of advice would be to um, 
use this as an opportunity to do some self-reflection and think about what it is that you want to get out of college and where you think you'll thrive. Um, and I think also just to keep in mind that um, there might not be just one specific college that is the best fit for you. Um, there could be lots of colleges who could fit that. So, um, you know, I didn't get into my dream school and I ended up at a school that I really enjoyed and had a really great experience. And so I think that would be my advice, especially as students might start to get stressed or worried. Um, you know, it'll be okay. There's plenty of resources to help you. Um, and, you know, whether it's your counselor or things like the college board, folks are here to help you through the process. Yeah. And community college is also a viable choice. And then you could transfer, right? Exactly. Yeah. Community colleges are a great option for a lot of students as well. So it's definitely worth looking into. And now for our next guest, we have David. Um, David, you mind telling us what you do? Hi, Gail. Nice to talk to you. Uh, my name is David Kiskowski. I'm the Associate Vice President for Enrollment Management at Clemson University. I've been here for about three years. Uh, prior to this, I was the Director of Admissions here and I spent some time at Penn State before coming to Clemson. So a lot of our students, a lot of our listeners are seniors and they're applying for college. And a lot of them really have questions for admissions officers, specifically what types of things help the admissions officers get to know you better and what kind of things to focus on on your applications. Um, one person asked, do mails, do letters in the mail really help? Um, so that really is going to depend on which school you're applying to. There are some institutions, there are some universities where those, those letters of recommendation um, are a required part of the application process uh, and others, it's, it's just not necessary. Uh, so there really is a range of schools. Um, there are also some schools where they might not require recommendations, but they will read them and they could make a difference if a student sends them. The best advice to the student is uh, learn about each and every college or university you're considering applying to and know what it is they they want. Does showing active interest in a school, such as visiting their campus or contacting their uh, faculty, does that influence admissions process? More often than not, it's a positive. Um, it's, it's a little bit of a tricky question in the sense that colleges and universities in general are trying to find ways to admit students. We're, we're all trying to help students and families make the best choices they can and do what they can do to get to a successful future. And so in that process, knowing that a student is committed to an institution, whichever college or university they're considering, that's always a positive factor. Um, I say it's a tricky question because what, what we try not to do as admissions officers around the country or as folks dealing in with this work, we try not to create a situation where students think, or students and families believe they really have to go out of their way to express all kinds of interest that if they visit a whole bunch of times or if they send a bunch of emails, the more they can do to express their interest, we don't want them to go overboard in doing that because they think that's the way to really make the difference. So. Yes, it's positive. Don't don't make yourself think it's a deal breaker. Okay, okay. Um, is a lot of students aren't necessarily focused in academics. 
for example, some students might be more artistic or more technical, so their grades might not be as good in areas such as history or reading or whatever the case might be. So if a student has strong extracurriculars and has a lot of achievements outside of the academic world, do would a low GPA or low test scores affect their chances of getting in, or would it kind of outweigh it and would admissions officers look for their strengths? It, there are some things that are always important. Academic performance and academic success. Is, is Those factors are going to be important at almost every college or university. And the extent to which those extracurricular activities are going to matter, it depends on the program you're, you're looking at. It can depend on the institution. Um, at a, at a, oftentimes, at a smaller college or university, those extracurriculars might, might make more of a difference. But it's not the case that at all medium or large institutions, colleges, that those extracurriculars won't matter. It can depend on the major. It can depend on the program they're trying to pursue. And it's, it's with so many of these sorts of questions, it's not a one-size-fits-all answer. Mm, interesting. Okay. So... I know that yeah. doesn't make it easier. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's, it, this, is a, this is a tricky one because I know that this is really, you know, some students really just thrive in the classroom and they just get amazing grades. But... You know, for more technical skills, they might they might not be the best. And then some students are out here building apps or, you know, entrepreneurship or whatever the case might be, and their academics aren't as good. So I think for a lot of those types of students, their concern is definitely, you know, they focus so much outside of school that they fear their academics might hurt their chances. I, I, I think that it's important for students to, to think about we're looking at helping and trying to find students who are going to make a difference. I think this is true for all colleges and universities. We're looking for ways to help students be successful, to pursue. I hope this doesn't sound, you know, cliche, but mm-hmm. we really are trying to find a way to help them kind of pursue their dreams. And so for some students, their academic performance is just going to be so stellar. They're just so off the charts that that's really going to punch their ticket. They're, they're going to be admitted in, at a lot of places. Unfortunately, there are probably some students that are going to really struggle academically and, and a whole lot of extracurricular activities won't matter, right? It, it, if you really are really struggling academically, sorting out how to succeed academically is probably the most important first and next step. Mm-hmm. There are really, though, a lot of students that, that if you think about across the academic spectrum, there's a middle range, right? There, there are a lot of students that are strong, good, but not the off-the-chart super high performers. And it's in, those, it's in those ranges where there are a lot of students that are really solid students where some of those extracurricular, extracurricular activities and those other things can really matter. Mm, interesting. Okay, that makes sense. I think that a, a lot of students. Do you, Do you think it's better to have a, a well-rounded 
profile or is it better to have a spike in one area? For example, is it better to just have a good balance of extracurriculars and clubs and, you know, good grades? Or is it better to have, you know, decent grades, but you might have a spike in one focus? Like, let's say you're just an outstanding mathematician or something similar. So generally, if you if you asked me to rank the things that matter the most, academic performance would be at the top. But your comments about is it valuable to see a student who's well-rounded? It does. So if you so think about a college admissions office looking at a couple of applicants. Um, one one applicant might have lots of AP courses and they've got really good grades and they took challenging courses and it and they improved from ninth to twelfth grade. They kept getting better and better. That's a really strong applicant. If you're looking at another student at that same institution whose grades are still pretty good, but not quite as good, if that other student had a lot of other engagement, a lot of other activities, a lot of other things that they were doing, that is going to counteract a bit the fact that their grades or academic performance might not be quite as high as the other student that's being looked at. So yeah, that that well-rounded can matter. Mm. I mean, I think the, the optimal situation would obviously just be to have both good engagement outside of school and also have, you know, amazing grades, right? That's really like the golden standard. I, I yes. I, so from a student perspective, you know, students and parents oftentimes will ask, what should I do? Should I take this AP course or should I take this honors course? And is it better to get an A in this course? Um, that's the regular calculus or to get a B plus in the honors calculus. Well, most admissions counselors and officers aren't going to, they're going to try not to answer that question specifically because it's not as simple as what's better to have a good grade in one course or not, or all good grades in this set of courses. I think it's really important for students to challenge themselves to, to know what their goals are and to do the kinds of things that make sense to them to make themselves better. And I think what college admissions offices are oftentimes looking for is that a student who knows what they want to do, who's been able to be successful and can explain or talk about what it is they've done. And that is not going to be the same path for every student in every circumstance. So, so that's a really long way to get to. Mm -hmm. I want students and families to trust and do what's right for them. They need to make the decision about how to challenge themselves the best, about how to do the things that matter to them that they think are going to help them develop as a person. And not try to figure out how to manipulate or even game the college admission or application process. If a student is doing what they love, if they're challenging themselves to be as successful as they can be, there are a lot of different ways to do that. And they will find a college or university that fits them and that respects those choices that they've made. They will find a path if they pay attention to their own needs. 
Mm, that's a really good answer. I think a lot of students, um, since freshman year, they, they begin by trying to game the system and trying to optimize their profile just, you know, to get maximum acceptance rates. And I think too few students are focusing on, on finding what they love first and then letting that show on their application. So would you say that to any underclassmen, freshmen and sophomores that are you know, they still have time until they get to college. And if this whole time they've just been focusing on trying to get perfect grades but not really developing their own interests, would you say they take some time to figure out what it is they love and then work towards achieving some level of success in that? Absolutely. Students should find the things that they care about, find the things that they value, figure out how to challenge themselves and do the best they can toward those goals and those ends. If they do that, they will find the colleges and universities that match up with their, with their needs, with their goals, and it'll work out for them. Would you say the, what is the difference in a quality of education compared to an Ivy League versus, you know, a public school or another private school? Is there a big difference if someone doesn't get into an Ivy League or a top 10 school? but they get just into a pretty average school. Well, they have a different life one after graduation. It's such an interesting question. The, are there differences between colleges and universities? Sure. There, there, as with all things in the universe, there's a scale and there's a range. Mm-hmm. And there are some colleges and universities that are better at some things than others. It is not I have never believed, I don't think there's a ton of evidence that says in order for a student to achieve their dreams, in order for a student to be successful, that there is one college or university or is that, or there is one set of colleges or universities that are their only options in order to make their dreams and wishes come true. So much of what a human being will do in the end about where a person will end up and go is about what they do within the context that they find themselves in. There are a lot of different schools where any one student can find a way to just knock it out of the park and be super successful. There are also a lot of ways for a really talented student to be at the best school possible and not get where they want to go. The most important factor, I think, is the individual student knowing what they want, figuring out how to push and challenge themselves, and just sticking with it. And and they can do that at a lot of different schools. How would a student find what college is ideal for them and their goals? This is a little bit of a cliche answer, it's going, but it's going to feel right. Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the real challenges of the environment we're in right now with, with COVID-19 is that it's a little more difficult for students to narrow down their list of colleges and universities and to actually visit them, see them, talk to students and faculty members on campus to get a sense of it. I think that the current environment makes that a little more difficult. 
but but that that sense of fit or of identifying the college or university that that has a shared set of values and what does it stand for relative to what you want as a student finding that match is what's going to make it all work mm. students and colleges are both trying to do the same thing students are trying to find the college that's going to be right for them and colleges are trying to find the students that are going to be right for them also it's a it's a, it's like all relationships the communication has to go back and forth and to the extent to which colleges and students can communicate openly and directly with each other about what they want and what they do, it's going to work. When a student is writing essays and they're, they're trying to tell the admissions counselor or officer who they are as a person, what kind of ideal should you focus on? Should you focus on the humanity of the student, the drive of the student, or the achievements of the student? The one thing they should not do in an essay, so some some universities or applications will have uh, very specific directions about what to write. In those cases, do what they tell you. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, one of the mistakes I think students sometimes make in in writing samples or essays or personal statements is that um, they summarize what's on their application. We're really good at reading an application. We don't need you to retell us what's there. Um, the best thing for a student to do when they're writing, writing something is to know enough, not only about what they want, but connect it to something about that university that they're writing for. If that piece of writing, if that essay, comes through as though it clearly expresses what the student's goals are, what their achievements are, in a way that connects to what that university is about or what they offer, that, that is, those, are the, those are the ones that make the difference. That's really interesting. That's, I've never heard that type of advice before. I, 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 I never considered connecting it. And this, I guess this is probably... The Common App is one of the most, you know, common essays there is. So let's say someone is applying to uh, an Ivy League school and the Ivy League school focuses on uh, creative, out-of-the-box thinkers. Would it be a good idea then, like you said, to write about a time or a concept, something that shows that you think out-of-the-box and not like your average student? I think that's a perfectly good example of, of that. Yes. It's, it's, Interesting. it's just, it's about doing your homework, right? Mm -hmm. It's yeah, it's, it, that's, it's not any more complicated than that. It, it means, so, so think about walking down the street and meeting five people that you never met before. You're not going to connect with all five of them. But you might connect with one and what you're going to connect with, the one you're going to remember is the one that you discussed or had some conversation with and you had some shared goals or interests. Again, it's, it's not really any more complicated than strong relationships work and thrive when, when there are shared goals and interests. 
And mm -hmm. that's really what a student and a university are trying to do. They're trying to create a relationship between each other that's, that's going to work. That makes total sense. Um, I think that piece of advice alone is like incredibly important, especially because I hadn't heard it, which is odd enough. So thank you, David, for coming on and talking to me about all this. I think it's going to be really helpful for our listeners. And uh, thank you for everything, all this advice. It's super helpful. Gail, I appreciate your time and thanks for reaching out. Thank you to at Better Media, B-E-T-R, for presenting this series and making it possible.